When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone and welcome back to another episode of Silverstein the podcast. A very lovely day to talk about Misery Made Me and the new record, which is finally out as we're recording this on May seventeenth. It's been out for uh, just over a week. How are we feeling about it? No more secrets. Feels good to come clean. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It feels like the reaction from the fans uh, and our friends and family so far have been amazing like everyone seems to really love the record we're getting good feedback from the press and from the record label and all that so i think we're all feeling pretty good about it absolutely you know it's funny right because so far in this podcast we've only covered the singles that have been out for a while and everything you know we've talked a bit about the recording process of you know putting together the the some of the songs and and where we were but today we're talking about the first track our song the kickoff jam the one that's starting off the record and uh it feels kind of good to bring this one to light with um you know it being the the one that everybody heard on friday when the record was released like assuming they they listened to it in order what kind of psycho goes oh oh, i can't my favorite band just put a brand new record out time to put it on shuffle who does that (laughs) Uh, adele fans please write into silverstein the podcast at what's our email address it's in the show notes. Please, if you do that, I want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Bill. Like the default was apparently it was on shuffle before and then Adele was like, "Yo, that's whack." And Spotify was like, "Okay. Yeah, it is kind of whack." Like, why would it not Like, why would you even bother with sequencing then, right? It's insane. I've been saying that for years. I think, you know, talking about the sequencing and I think with this song being track 1, it makes sense to talk about um I don't know. For us, it was pretty obvious, like fairly early on, that this was going to make a pretty banging opening track. It is certainly an anthemic track, uh, and it really uh, starts the record off on a uh, kind of a strong vibe that, to me, is maybe a little bit defiant, bringing in these themes of misery, and uh, mm-hmm. but more from a place like in my mind, like, is kind of how we felt at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, okay, we'll get through this. This sucks, but we'll get through this. And, uh, you know, as the record progresses, we get a little more hopeless uh, (laughs) before, you know, finally finding our our place, our our peace with it. Don't you think our song, and I know we're going to get to it much later, but the song Misery are are kind of the only two songs on the album that uh, are from this sort of zoomed out, like outside perspective. Like they're much less introspective songs and much more like um, defining, you know, the way you feel about something after the fact. Like you're not in the case of Misery and the case of our song. They're both like 
extra. Do you know what I mean? Like they have this like different yeah. uh, tone. And I think that's the, you're right. It's the only option is to start and end the record with those two songs. And it's a happy accident that we both wrote them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it did, it did kind of work out. Um, you know, without talking to each other about them, we we both wrote misery as like a key word in what we were going through. But obviously, um, the working title uh, for this song was not our song. It was Misery Made Me. I guess the biggest thing was when we released the title of the album, Misery Made Me, a lot of people didn't take it in the way the song talks about it, which is Misery Made Me, Nothing Can Break Me. They took it as like, misery made me do what, right? Yeah. That was like kind of an interesting thing that I don't think I really thought of, but it it, it does make sense. No, we talked about it. Bill and I, at least Bill and I, Bill and I were roommates uh, through this whole recording process. And we talked about that and how much we liked it um, at length. I think kind of every night just going like, man, it's so cool that you can take it both ways and it huh. still holds up. I think there was like a defining moment in the studio too where like I don't know if it was the first day because I think we also came in saying we're not going to talk about this stuff until we have some songs down but where we sort of decided that Misery Made Me was going to be the title and that our song would be a better song title and that it would kick off the record it was just sort of like this is the anthem call like this is the rally cry or whatever you know like um going to bring people in 100% and and shifting to the the song itself I remember, Paul Mark, when you you hit me up and you were like, I've got the song. And it seemed to me like you were maybe not 100% sure about it or you like you wanted a little bit of reinforcement from me that it was good or just someone to kind of bounce it off of a little bit. That's kind of what I remember when when you kind of hit me up about it. Originally, this song, I didn't write this for Silverstein. I wrote it for another band. Um, I guess, yeah, for another band, that band. We can censor this if they don't like it, but that band's dragged under. And they was, don't censor anything. They don't care. <laughs> they won't care at all. But I, I, I remember like, okay, so I originally wrote this on April. I checked April 15th, 2020. So Whoa. that's less than, a, or I guess in exactly a month, I guess, into lockdowns. And so the first session I did wasn't for Silverstein stuff at all. It was just with that band dragged under for their stuff. And I was just kicking around all these ideas and they weren't super sure, super sure what kind of direction they were going to be headed. So I just like fired off a bunch of ideas I had to them. And this was one of them. And they they ended up going a different direction. And so it was just sitting in like a pile of demos I had. And later on, after we had done all the Silverstein sessions and we were, time was approaching, I was like, maybe I should look at this again. Hmm. Uh, and I thought it was pretty cool, but I wasn't 100% on it. I definitely wanted to like, because right away, if you were like, this is not cool, I'd be like, okay, then forget it. Well, especially when another band has already like not been, they've been iffy on it. Right. If you at best yeah. on it. So it's like, OK, well, either they're just looking for a totally different direction or this is bad, <laughs> you know, exactly. And, yeah. And I heard it and I like pretty much liked it right away. I, I did feel like it was a little different for us. And we we discussed it as being we, we called it the Euro Festival anthem. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seemed a little more on the side of like maybe something anti-flag would do than Silverstein, like in a way, or we always seem to say Billy Talent. Everything we write sounds like Billy Talent in one way or another. But that that was like what I remember initially hearing it. But I I thought it was cool, like right away. It's because of those haze. That's the biggest risk of, yeah. risk of the song, right? Is the, the big like festival, hey. And I've always wanted to do a song that had them. And I 
you know, the best way to get to scratch those itches for me anyway is to write those songs for bands that aren't Silverstein because uh, <laughs> they don't feel the same way. About it. But I'm very glad we we like looked at it again, especially because revisiting this morning the the demo original demo the lyrics are complete nonsense and they're written about like it references carol baskin so that tells you about the time that i wrote it in you know what i mean like (laughs) tiger king was all anybody could think about or talk about so and that was annoying me even at the time so i i get hearing that and like not really knowing me as the dragged under guys did not and going like this guy is crazy this song is ridiculous why would anybody right. play that but it's like no i was just like showing you what the vocal could be like like these aren't the lyrics you know maybe we'll play it right now this is it's kind of interesting i had never heard this till today and i didn't catch all the lyrics but i know there was stuff like you were talking about youtube on there and uh Twitter yeah YouTube, maybe reddit i believe reddit yeah, yeah 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 kind of interesting uh here we go let's listen to it get out the early demo of our song. There it is. Get out. Very, very different lyrics. I could see it now. The band being like not being able to kind of see past the lyrics, even yeah. if you know if, if you haven't worked with them before, and they're just like, I don't know, lyrics are make it weird, even though the music is really good, you know, and the melodies are good. Yeah, I mean, but that's like, and we can get into this more later, and I think we will with other songs, especially where I have weirder earlier demos like that. It's like that is a huge part of my process is just gibberish nonsense lyrics that have the like sounds i want mm-hmm. um and this is a thing that like i forget what's the singer of mars volta called what's his cedric name? is that right if that's right cedric once in an interview said that that's how he writes all of his lyrics and this was like a long long time ago that i read this like maybe in like trans world skateboarding or something and it was always very interesting to me. And it never, like, I don't think about it actively, but it never left my subconscious, I guess, because that is absolutely how I write basically everything. 
is that I my original pass of it is just like sort of nonsense with the like sounds and shapes that I like. And then yeah. eventually I refine that into something that's cool. And to bring up another song, I know this is the our song episode, but I remember when we wrote Lost Positives and we had this can you know what's true? Yes. We had to really work to make that work like meaning we we were kind of like but we couldn't change it because we were so married to just the like the way the like kind of hit yeah and um the ooh like it it really sang the way we wanted it to to where we kind of couldn't change it and that's that can be a challenge when you do that and then you're like fuck I have to use this sound but now I'm limited to a certain vocabulary 100% man that's an excellent example that I wouldn't have thought about but sometimes you do get buried by it a little bit and that we were so far down the line and had just become so married to it as you say that yeah there you sort of just get stuck and you've got to deal with it and frankly like the looking back like the lyric of that song does suffer for that because it is a little bit nonsense I still love the song uh, and I still think the chorus does actually say something but is it the best thing we could have said like probably not but does it sound awesome for sure I remember someone asked me about it specifically they were like, it's my favorite song, but I'm like having a little trouble understanding. And I came up with something really good. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. But That's I, great. But I don't remember it anymore. So it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a fresh challenge every time. It's great. <laughs> Billy, what did you think about this song when you first heard it? It seemed like up your alley. When I heard it, I was like, Billy's going to like this one. Yeah, I think I, I, I definitely didn't hear that version of the demo, but I heard a, a later version that Paul Mark had done a vocal on. And I think I was just like listening to a lot of like Olivia Rodrigo and Machine Gun Kelly at the time. <laughs> like, I really liked the sort of like snotty pop punkness of it. Like, especially the, and, and I think like the final version, really, we really like leaned into it. The like kind of talked out parts in the verses. And um, to me, it was just like immediately, I, I just thought like, man, it's brutal out here. You know, like I just, I sort of thought that, uh, and I loved it right away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I, I, I felt like it was a really cool, like sort of, um, way to, to make a Silverstein song, like feel kind of, um, modern in that, in that sense. Yeah. I remember when I was doing the, the vocals for the, um, like the breakdown, the like where it's misery made me, nothing can break me. Like all that talking, you really, I remember you were sitting there on the couch, Bill, and you were like really leaning into me trying to do it like really like <laughs> na 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 boo boo. Like, yeah, totally. And I was really, really not sure. And I remember we did like so many passes of it and obviously like everything got saved, you know? And I remember leaving the studio maybe even like before the record was mixed and I was like, I'm pretty iffy on this. And luckily like it sort of got a little less, na little less for me. Nana and a boo boo, uh, <laughs> and like that helped the song for me because I was like, I don't know, I know Bill likes this, but I'm I'm like not a hundred percent sure on this this snottiness, like you know, like as you say, yeah, dude, I've got a bit of secret knowledge that uh, nobody knows except for Sam. But when you know, generally at the end of the record, I go to Sam's studio and there's a few final things that I like, you know, I don't like how a reverb is or something, and we like fight about that in the studio for a while. That section those performances i nitpicked even beyond what they originally were comped to be yeah i made changes even after the first round of mixes like right before mastering it was the 11th hour for sure yeah 
And I remember like being very unsure about that. And like, especially with this being track one on the record, like mm. it's extra important. If this was like, okay, this is later in the record, whatever. But like knowing this is not only the first song people are going to hear in a lot of cases, it's also the title of the record. Misery, like literally you're going to think of that what lyric probably or that, you know, that vocal delivery. And I was like, I was pretty iffy on it, but I was like, okay, everyone likes it. And then thank God it got changed. <laughs> yeah, we did a little, I mean, everything was there. We just had so much to work with. And like, you know, yeah. it's almost the curse of having too much where you, it's impossible to choose. But we did. I mean, I'm really happy with how it sounds now and where it sits. But there was definitely like even the first few rounds of mixes where I was like, this has got to be changed. Like we need this to be cooler. I think, yeah, we definitely had so many different takes of it with different vibes. And I feel like even the first couple of mixes, many of those takes were layered. So there was like a, a real lasagna of takes going on. And it, uh, <laughs> it it was overwhelming. It certainly was like, I don't know if this is good or not. This is this is a whole bunch of pasta. <laughs> lasagna is always good, isn't it? It is. It is good. But uh I think those takes really got focused into into something that captures that that as I said earlier, like that defiant uh attitude towards this uh adversity that you're facing. It has been a sleeper track for me. I, I have always liked it, but it was never at the top of my list. But it I've really come around to it. And I, actually my buddy Mark, it's his favorite track on the whole record. There you go. Wow. I think he puts it on repeat and goes jogging for like six miles. This song is kind of sneaky heavy too. Like it, it starts out, it's very like kind of upbeat and the haze and it's like, it kind of gets you moving. But then like near the end of the record when it has that like riff, that that's like one of the biggest riffs on the record. Like kind of a little bit of a secret, secret heavy riff. Secret heavy for sure. It was like, it was a bit of a like a what would refuse do thing for me. Like the new noise bridge is kind of structured like that. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, that was definitely living in my head at that time. And I mean, the tones are pretty ripping. We we utilize that low octave one a bunch, but we also had like through the fuzz rig that Josh designed. We had a lot of uh, stuff ripping there. So I yeah, it's definitely heavy. Yeah. Once again, Bill gets a bass solo in the first track of the record. Once again, <laughs> two in a row now. Two in a row, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Good bass tone too. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure Sam re-recorded it. <laughs> I'll, I'm saying it on air. I'm I'm almost positive if we texted him, he would admit it. But I listened to it and I was like, I don't remember playing it like that. I don't remember hearing it like that. I don't remember any of this. Like, this has to be different. I'm just gonna send Sam the link and see if he just comes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't know if we, we, I don't know if he'll come. Uh, I'm gonna come. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that has to stay in i'll leave it in yes yeah. shane did you see the did you see the photo that i took of you in la that, that uh, it's you're pointing at a thing that says my boyfriend made me come i thought that was funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> jesus christ all right maybe the section might have come the off the rails a little bit but yeah we're gonna get slapped with a, an explicit sticker on this podcast uh, i texted sam we have a question he goes, oh, my God, right now? Hang on. So I think he's coming. <laughs> I think he's coming right now. He's like, oh, my God, right now? This is literally what it, what he's got. <laughs> oh, is that backwards for you guys? No, it was regular. Oh, it's just backwards for me. <laughs> why, why do they do that with things? Why would I ever want to see myself or anything backwards ever? Why is that a thing? Uh, I think it's like mirroring. Yeah, but why? 
just so like you know you don't like i don't know accidentally take a drink of your uh spray cleaner <laughs> i think it's more that people are used to seeing themselves in a mirror that oh. when they see themselves normally they look different so they I say so that's too. weird yeah oh interesting huh okay i'm always like annoyed when it's like that and i'm like why why would i want to see something backwards you know anyway uh sam is I think Sam is on his way, but um, okay. regardless, we'll, we'll we'll get the answer to that question, Bill. Uh, sort of throw you under the bus. <laughs> Your bass is getting recorded, <laughs> but uh, wouldn't be the first time. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing it's for tuning. In all of these situations, he gets into the mix, and then there's not tuned right. There he is. Oh, he's, he's here. Sorry, Sam. We had we had a question for you. That's okay. What's up? You have to be honest. Uh oh. You have to swear on Jesus Christ. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's fine. No pressure. We're talking about our song. Okay. Was the bass re-recorded by you? In which part? I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, he already admitted to it, didn't he? Okay, so <laughs> let's get real honest. It was programmed, and then Paul Mark was like, that part sounds really programmed. What's going on with that? And I was like, oh, so I just went back and replayed it. <laughs> programmed bass? Why would, why? So what, wait, so Bill recorded it? And then it wasn't, or Paul Mark, I don't know who recorded it. I think Paul Mark recorded it. And then you decided to change it to programming? It just wasn't like as clean as I wanted when I started mixing it. And I was like stressing about it a little bit. And I think I programmed it before I went away for a bit. So I wasn't mixing yet. And then I got back and I was like, should I leave this like this? Let's see. Like if, if my, my thought process was, if anybody points it out, I'll, play it i'll play it instead and then it was pointed out so i picked up my bass and i played it instead but i also like i basically faked the hell out of it too just because i wanted it to be so perfect and what was funny was i've had three different like professional bassists be like that part sounds so like crazy good blah, blah, blah. i was like oh it's pretty fake but it's really cool thank you it, it does sound does sound good yeah we're talking about our song on silverstein the podcast uh uh-huh. silvercast didn't make the cut i figured it was pretty uh sorry bad on my part <laughs> but uh, do you have any other tidbits or anything that you know you think of off the top of your head about this song and recording it or anything or mixing it i remember um not struggling to connect with it but struggling to totally grasp what it was about until paul mark kind of explained it to me when we were working on the bridge and then the song made a lot more sense to me and i think it helped me make the mix kind of like big and stupid and crazy for like this big opener style song. Um, not that I struggled to connect with it. I just, at the beginning, the song felt like one kind of thing where it was just like, all right, well, here's a song we're doing on the record to when it became like, oh yeah, no, this thing's going to launch the record. Let me like, yeah. let's make this like gigantic. That was like a fun one for me. That one I felt came together really fast in the mix and like, was just like super fun to just make loud. Uh, Paul Mark, you, you sat in on some of that mix, right? Yeah, I briefly alluded to that just a moment ago, actually. But yeah, because I mean, it's important. It's such a simple song, like harmonically, like there's yeah. not a lot happening. There's um, in terms of intervals or like, you know, any, there's no like sexy spice. It's all like perfect intervals and, you know, like really clean. And it's just about layering octaves and texture um, yeah. in the guitars. So there was a chance it was going to feel really flat versus the rest of the album. But you took the, in my view, the correct approach and just made it scream you know and that's that that puts it in the right you know zone yeah i kind of looked at it like when we did almost like bankrupt where like you said like it's a very simple riff like riff wise how do you just make it big you literally just keep turning it up and keep like 
pumping out the like power and just the regular guitars, you know? Yeah. And I feel like there's something else I wanted to say about this song. Oh yeah. We had a million of those like, no looking back when we're so far gone. That was the only thing that gave me anxiety was we tracked like 30 of them. And I sat there during mixing, just trying to decide which ones. And it was like splitting hairs at one point I was going nuts. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Which yeah. One we this. talked about earlier, just, just before you jumped on about the misery made me, nothing can break <laughs> me. And how like we weren't, I was really not sure about what we comped like before mixing when we left the studio and I was like really iffy about it. But Bill was like, like the kind of nanana boo boo-ness of it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And then, and then, but then Paul Mark said, you guys definitely went back and found better comps or different comps to kind of make that a little less crazy. Yeah. We definitely like combed through pretty deep on, on all those. Cause yeah, like I said, there was like, there was like, at least 20 options of everything for the, that part. Yeah. See, this is great for all the listeners to see that when Silverstein's talking to you on this podcast, we're giving you the straight shit. We're not lying about any of this. We just Sam had no idea this is what we were just talking about. And he came on and said the exact same thing that we have That's just right. been talking about. So <laughs> you got to trust us. We're not going to fuck around with you. We really don't have anything to hide. But Sam, the record's out. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if I've talked to you since it's been out. It's been out for like 10 days. Uh, how are you feeling about it? How's the feedback been? Oh, man. I'm feeling so good about it. I like, <clears throat> I do this thing where I struggle to sort of listen to records that I've done until they come out. And I have not stopped listening to this record since it's come out. And uh, the feedback on it's nuts. And I'm so happy that everybody, I'm sure you guys noticed too, like the feedback on the altar and Mary. Yeah. Is like insane. People are like blown away by how big of a departure that is but still feels so much like you guys at the end of the day and i'm like honestly just i'm so honored and stoked to still like to have been a part of it you know yeah well thank you man thank you thank you thank you for jumping on for a minute uh i think i'm are you are you about to eat dinner or you're am i interrupting are we interrupting i'm oh yeah just we i did a bit of moving today and i'm just kind of like figuring all that stuff out oh well that that doesn't sound great so maybe nope. this is a welcome, a very welcome interruption. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Quickly, before you do go, as a proud Italian man, how do you feel about referring to layered instruments on a recording as a sonic lasagna? <laughs> I very much love that. It's just layers and layers and layers. Okay, thank you very much. You may go now. <laughs> do you have any family members that make a good lasagna? Okay. I will say that my grandmother makes the best lasagna, and I know that every Italian person says that, <laughs> but I've had other Italian people be like, okay, yeah, she makes a pretty dope lasagna, so <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. And Sam, you yourself make a damn fine Sonic lasagna. The only one I know how to make. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. See ya. Oh, Mr. Sam Guyana, producer of Misery Made Me. Uh, and our song. And uh, see, we we don't lie. There's no lying. We could lie, but we what's the point? You know? There's no lying in podcasts. Just tell you all the real shit. We already threw Dragged Under under the bus. It's true. We dragged them under the bus. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly throwing myself under the bus because I'm playing like my basement demos of all this stuff with my weak ass vocals on them. So, you know, you just can't be ashamed. You just got to own it. 
Well, we probably don't have to play the other demo unless you want to. It's nah. pretty similar to the song, you know, we could play it if we want. Or do you want to get into the acapella? You know I love the acapella. And you texted me saying it was a weird one, so I'm excited. Well, okay. Now, um, we usually we just listen to the acapellas and, you know, we talk about them after or whatever. But there's one harmony I want people to listen to. And it's on, uh, I think the lyric is on, this is for the fuck-ups, double down and bad luck. Yeah, it's like a descending harmony, which is like psycho to hear by itself. It's yet another thing I argued with Sam about, because he wanted them on all of the pre-choruses. And I was like, no! <laughs> I think it's only twice in the song, but it's, it is, yeah, there is some wild stuff in here. So, guitars are simple. Some of these harmonies are, are, are pretty insane. So one of our favorite things we do on this podcast, uh, and not just me, I know it's my vocals, but I, everyone likes it, okay? It's not just me. Uh, our song, a cappella. here we go. I'd rather die than learn my lesson. I'll make the same mistakes until my body breaks, but I turn a curse to a blessing. And now I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Yeah! I've been getting reckless, burning through my chances No looking back when we're so far gone This is for the fuck-ups, double down on bad luck You can tell everybody this is our song I don't need saving, never gonna change me now Misery made me, nothing can break me down I didn't ask for your opinion, but you won't stop talking at me. I'm bored to death already. What makes you think I want to listen now? Shut up, shut up, shut up! I've been getting reckless, burning through my chances. No looking back when we're so far gone. This is for the fuck-ups, double down on bad luck. You can tell everybody this is our song. Hey! I don't need saving, never gonna change me now. There's a bad edit in there. Did you hear it? I didn't notice. Misery made me, nothing can break me. <laughs> Misery made me, nothing can break me. My click is loud. Misery made me, click nothing can in. break me. Misery made me, nothing can break me. No! Second chances. No looking back when we're so far gone. This is for the fuck ups. Double down on bad luck. You can tell everybody this is our song. Hey! I don't need saving. Never gonna change me now. Misery made me. Nothing can break me down. There it is. Booyah. 
I believe Paul, Mark, and I were riding around on a golf cart not so long ago, having a nice little round of of golf, uh, and As he do. was he was feeling very pleased that we had finally made a record that didn't include any group vocals, but the hey Damn is it. more or less a group vocal. I'm sorry to burst the bug. Yeah. Damn. You know, yeah. the haze on the Get Out demo we heard sound remarkably similar to the final one. They are. Yeah, so we didn't actually record the haze, I don't think. I don't remember if we did or not. I don't remember doing it. I think we did. I remember doing it. Really? Yeah, And then, but I, I remember there being a conversation about them not being too, like, group vocally. Like, we didn't want the, like, big day to remember sort of youth crew group vocal or whatever, right? Like... It wasn't the yeah. vibe. I had a yeah. stack. I like, so I don't know if anybody uses Splice uh, of the For You or anybody listening, but Splice is amazing. Um, and if you just like are trying to make something in a pinch and just, you know, don't want to record yourself saying, hey, 500 times in your basement, um, they just like have that and you can just download it. And so I made, hmm. like, I just grabbed every hey that seemed like it would fit together. And so it's probably a stack of like eight or 12 hey's. With a bunch of verb and stuff, uh, but yeah, I think we kept the original ones, and maybe we padded them. But it sounds very, very similar uh, to me. I I remember we had a little bit of a conversation of like, the haze need to be louder. The haze need to be louder. And and uh, you, Paul, Mark were like, no, they don't need to be louder. <laughs> it's like don't they're gonna they're gonna sound bad if if they get turned up. Yeah, some of yeah. the screams are pretty ferocious in that song. Yeah, you chased it, man. I, I think that we allude to it all the time, and it's especially obvious when it's something kind of talky in your performance. It's like, oh, that really like served the you know, the vibe of the song or the point of the lyric or whatever. Um, but what I don't think we mention enough is like the actual singing stuff, the you know, the what we'd call like the meat of the performance, it also like channels that energy so well in this song. Like it does feel this like air of defiance, or like it comes across in even the singing. And the screaming is like, um, like almost like out of control. Whereas I think in other songs we use screaming more as a tool, and it's a lot more like precise. And this one was really just like cut loose, man, just go nuts. Like, let's just see what happens if you just scream as loud as you can. And it turned out awesome. Yeah, I think from my perspective too, and like we maybe we talked about this in another episode. I can't remember, but obviously, like there's something pretty unnatural about singing in a studio like you're doing things over and over again and then like between takes like people are making jokes and like you're not always super focused on like the emotion of the situation like the performance isn't always like that but I think with this record I was able to channel pretty much on a dime like the frustration sometimes like just be like I have feel this man because it's been a shitty couple fucking years and just for that one moment be able to like kind of dig deep and be like all right i'm feeling the rage right now and then being able to deliver that just basically channeling that whereas maybe on other records it's like hard to feel it like emotionally but on this record it was very recent the like the pain we all went through if that makes any sense of course yeah it makes perfect sense yeah. I sort of feel like the the um, way that we kind of just had everyone in the studio all the time too, like leaned into that as well because you weren't just sort of left alone to feel that or to you know channel that uh, performance. It's like we were all sort of 
there to say, this is how this makes me feel. This is how I'm, I'm and like almost kind of rally around it, which I think uh, brought out really great performances from you. Yeah, thanks, man. No, I think so too. I mean, we've we talked at pretty great length about how I think us getting together after so long and living together and talking after hours and playing golf in the morning and all these things like really did bond us to make a record. And it's it is like I think you know we talked about this a little bit on the other podcasts about how you know important that was, but I think now that the record is out and we've had really great feedback about it, especially about some of the non-singles and stuff like, like this song, um, it's only bolstered it more the, to me, like the importance of that process and what we needed to do together, you know, to like really rally around this record because there's like, you know, it's like the intangibles that, that, come into play with a record that like maybe aren't always recorded but they're you know they lead to it you know for sure totally we talk about doing any other i mean even take a beautiful place to drown for example like we were all basically there every day it was in toronto you know we were all around and i think when we talk about recording that record there's much less like extracurricular shit that we bring up it's like they're you would almost think based on how we talk about making misery made me, it's like, well, they just fucked off and played golf and drank beers and watch hockey all the time. And like, that seems like we didn't do much record making, but like <laughs> the other side of that coin is what those are the only things we were doing that weren't <laughs> making a record. Whereas when you make right. the record in Toronto, it's like at the at fucking eight o'clock or whatever, everyone goes like, gotta go. And we all go our separate right ways and we do God knows what you're not really thinking about the record in the same way until like you're back at the studio. And then it's like, it's almost like stressful or something like you don't feel prepared. It's like, okay, I got to get back into the zone and I don't know if I'm ready. Whereas like we were all together talking about it. Like it was kind of just there in that, in the background or something. And it made it a lot more of a focused experience. And like Sam too. I mean, how many days did Sam stay at the studio before he went, went home to sleep like two weeks or something before he even left for a night? Like he basically worked like straight through. So like, that's like hyper focused for him, you know, and obviously his role in the record is very important too. Yeah. That guy's crazy. Everyone definitely, he was the last person to take a day off. Oh, hundred percent. I took the first available day off, baby. <laughs> I know me. He was also the last person to have a sip of water. <laughs> doesn't drink water. Got Only coffee. Doesn't drink. That guy. It's crazy. That's why he has no physical stamina when he's, playing doing anything with any sort of physical exertion yeah if he sweats even one molecule of water out of his body <laughs> it basically yeah. he gets mummified <laughs> <laughs> oh man we talk a lot of shit on this guy don't we <laughs> yeah but i love sam so much but he's very he's a very very good producer he killed it on this record what else to touch on with this thing um it's a bit of a shorter episode but i feel like it's been action-packed and uh uh PK is not around for this one, by the way, but he will be back for other episodes. I'm sure he's got lots of lovely, lovely things to say. And he wanted everyone to know that he's excited to be a part of the rest of the podcasts. I just listened to the Ultraviolet podcast and you call him the Bobby Fisher of emo in it. And it's really funny. <laughs> and he absolutely is the Bobby Fisher of emo. <laughs> like how many moves ahead he sees or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You were like, Paul, when you heard ultraviolet, like what did, like what went through your mind? Like you're like kind of the Bobby Fisher of emo, right? Like you could see where this was going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thought it got tossed around a little bit while we were 
in the studio working on this. Uh, but that uh, line about it being our song, is that a reference to, uh, I think you were saying maybe an Elton John uh, lyric? Oh, yes, buddy. You know. You know me 100% that I can't keep an Elton John reference out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you keep Elton John out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, uh, totally, though. He wrote the song, your song, to somebody so that they could tell everyone that it was theirs. Um, and I wanted to write the song to everybody to say that it's ours. There you go. Because we're all in this shit together, baby. It just fits so good. It was one of those things that just like I was sort of just riffing on and it came into my head and I couldn't let it go. And so then I had to find a way to make it work. It's sort of a thing we talk about all the time with like a sound or an idea. Even in the Ultraviolet uh, episode, we talked about how sometimes you just like you get the word and then you can't you got to work around that because it's just too good a word. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was sort of one of those things which is like I loved the idea of like sort of referencing that Elton John lyric and I just like tirelessly worked to make it fit. And I think that we did. Awesome. I remember you telling me, I think we even had a conversation like in the park when we were playing basketball, um, telling me that the inspiration for that too, was just like connecting with all the fans on like Twitch and just everything that we had to go through to reach people in the pandemic. Um, And that you just wanted something to sort of give back to that, to say like, to those people that have come up to us over the years and said, you know, your, your music means so much to me. It's like, this is for us, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're right. I was totally in like songwriting brain, just answering that question, but that is the main inspiration for it. Right. Like you're a hundred percent, right? Like never had a community that's been in front of us for 20 years or whatever, been so obvious that like when the shit fully hit the fan in the world and we went on, you know, we took to Twitch and the internet and various things like that community got, tighter knit than ever and like I think that I one-to-one interacted with more people on a more personal level and like started learning about everyone's stories and how you know they participated in in our band and how we are a factor in their lives and the community just it it was almost overwhelming and so yeah you're, you're absolutely right that it was my intention to kind of include them in this and it was after I had written like a song with people on Twitch and so it was just like very top of mind to me but yeah, those people, everyone in the community, you know, they deserve to take ownership over it as much as any of us do. Totally. And Misery Made Me Nothing Can Break Me is a remarkably uplifting, positive lyric. You know what I mean? Like you th- you see the word misery and you think of it as like a very negative, like maybe the most awful thing you can go through. But when you put it that way, it's like we're going to overcome this thing. Like there's a, a real element of hope you know, that, that this song has with that lyric, Misery Made Me, Nothing Can Break Me, and even the final lyric of the record, which is, I can find my peace in misery. It's like sort of like overcoming or getting beyond, you know, these feelings and, and this, you know, this horrible, uh, frustrating time we, we faced. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's like, it's not about even leaving misery behind you, but sort of recognizing, you know, whatever you've gone through is like become the building blocks to, you know, what you are or what you will eventually be. And at the very least, it's together that we're doing that. Yeah. And that's the point of our song. If I like shift into like sort of like therapy brain here a little bit too, like so much of what my therapist and I talked about over the pandemic was just how to exist 
in the like uncertainty and in the, you know, we've been doing this thing with this band and mostly on the road for 20 years. And then we had to just like find a place to kind of sit in it and be like, I don't know when we're going to go back on the road. Like how, how do I, how do I, you know, occupy myself in this like place of loneliness or sadness or uncertainty. So um, I feel like that came through on this record in both of those songs so much. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I heard a wonderful quote the other day along the lines of like, most of our misery, most of the awful things in our experience exists in the disparity between where we are and where we wish we were. And uh, learning to to sit with what is uh, and accept it is uh, truly the path to uh, persevering. Look at that. I like Josh. I like your final thought. We need to do a Jerry Springer, Josh final thought on every uh, episode of the podcast, I think. <laughs> Fucking Silverstein Yoda over here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, well, everybody, thank you for tuning in uh, to another episode of Silverstein, the podcast. And make sure that you, whatever you're listening to this on, whether it's a Spotify or Apple or anything else, you there's a button somewhere that will say follow or subscribe. Hit that button so we can keep this content coming at you. We've got... Um, Lots more songs to talk about, uh, including Alter and Mary, which I know people are very excited about hearing. That one's coming soon, so make sure you're subscribed. And uh, in the future, who knows what, what this holds. So it's uh, it's really great to have you, and uh, thanks. You can tell everybody this is your podcast. <laughs> I like that.
song 